Greetings, everybody. Keith Billick here. Happy February. And thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. And you know, for a podcast that is named after like a banjo player pun, this episode might actually be the pickiest of all Picky Fingers episodes. And you'll hear all about what I'm talking about uh, soon enough. Before we get into that, though, uh, just a quick update on something that I'm excited about these days. I actually have a couple new tracks of music that are on the way. They're not ready yet, but it will be something that you as podcast listeners will get to enjoy as part of future episodes. And I'll make sure to release like a bonus episode to play those new songs for you. And I've been able to enlist some good friends of mine. So really excited about that, but it's just not quite ready. So that is on the horizon uh, another thing to make sure that you know about is to head over to the Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. This podcast would not be possible if it wasn't for very, very generous patrons. And uh, that website that I just said is how you sign up to become a patron of the show. Today's featured patron of the show is Max Allard. You all are, of course, familiar with Max. He was featured on episode 56 and now he's supporting the show himself on patreon he's basically steering the ship at this point but if for some reason you don't know max he's a very exceptional banjo player talented young guy out of chicago and i look forward to many many years of innovative groundbreaking music coming out of that guy but uh no pressure max but i do thank you sincerely for your support once again, that site is patreon.com slash banjo podcast. If you're not feeling the whole Patreon thing and would still like to support the show, there are other ways to do that. Of course, you can always subscribe and rate the show on your podcast platform. You can share the episodes around social media, or you can always just give me your feedback directly by emailing me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. That's the way I keep in touch with a lot of you. And you should feel free to reach out anytime you want. Today's episode features an interview with Ron Landis. And if his name sounds familiar, it could be for a few reasons. But Picky Fingers listeners might remember Stephen Moore talking about his special custom-made silver finger picks. And Ron is the guy who made those. And so he is in business making finger picks for anybody who cares to order them. And they, as you will hear me say during the interview, they are works of art. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was a metal artist before he ever even tried his hand at making finger picks. Now, that being said, he's also a musician. He does play dobro and banjo. So not only does he know how to make these things, but he has the experience to evaluate them from a player's standpoint. And I think that really helps, and, and you'll hear from him. Along those same lines, we talked so much about his picks and his history, we didn't even talk about his music. So I'll at least just mention that anyone who wants to check Ron out, besides his finger picks, you can go see him performing with Opal Agafia and the Sweet Nothings, as well as a few bands called uh, Sprung Billy and Hillbilly Royale. So he, he's keeping busy playing, he's keeping busy working out these silver picks, and I was keeping busy trying to deal with yet more technical difficulties with, when I'm doing these 
internet interviews, and so I appreciate Ron's patience and everything. And boy, am I really getting sick of Zoom interviews. I can't wait to get back out there and just sit with people and interview them in person. But um, I'm either way, I'm very grateful that uh, Ron took the time to speak with me, and I'm excited for you to hear all about his picks and also excited for you to check them out online because they are really impressive. So here it is, my interview with fingerpick artist extraordinaire Ron Landis. Thanks for making the time. I'm really glad we could make this happen. I'm, I'm pretty proud of us. We... We had a few rescheduling and put it off a little bit, but we were pretty good about staying in touch about it. So in a world where it's it's easy to lose track of things, I'm pretty proud that we that we stuck with it and made it happen. So Yeah, uh, me too. I'm I'm glad welcome. this is happening. I, I uh, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, great. So first of all, I guess tell us how you got into to music and especially music that requires finger picks, I guess. And then also, I know you have a really interesting story as, as far as your background in metalworking. So take the floor and, and tell us what we should know about your background and your experience with both of those things. Okay, well, I was born in Denver, Colorado, grew up in a very suburban neighborhood. My parents listened to things like uh, Perry Como, Frank Sinatra, so I didn't have much of a bluegrass <laughs> background. I, I was uh, probably my first introduction to bluegrass banjo was Earl Scruggs playing the Beverly Hills uh, theme, the Beverly Hillbilly theme. So yeah. later on, I took cornet. My mother thought I had a musical talent, so she got me into the band, and I took trumpet. I mean, I was good at it. I could do it. I saw the note, and I pushed the buttons, and the note came out. But I didn't really, I wasn't into it. Later on, I got a little older. And I started hanging out with my friends in the park. And they were playing guitars and singing folk songs. And I said, oh, that's fun. And so I ended up uh, trading off my my cornet for a, I think I bought a Stella guitar for about $15 from a friend of mine. She taught me three chords. And I learned mm -hmm. Blowing in the Wind. And my mm -hmm. second song, I learned The Weight. And I could hang out with my friends. Playing a cornet in the park with your friends wasn't as cool as a guitar. <laughs> so... I, I got into that, and I, a friend of mine, Frail Banjo, played old-timey banjo, and I said, man, nobody plays banjo. That sounds so neat. So he taught me a few things. I bought a little, I don't know, a little harmony banjo or something, and he taught me how to frail on it, and I was learning a few simple tunes, and then I was exposed to live bluegrass music, and it changed my world. I saw a little three-piece band at the Denver Folklore Center. This was probably 1970, around in there. Little three-piece band. It was Lynn Morris on the banjo, Pat Ross oh, on the guitar, and Mary Stribling was playing bass, and they were so fun to listen to. And she played with such energy. It was, it was just infectious. Warm left for us to hold when there's no 
She had a grin yeah. from ear to ear, and she just exuded joy with this instrument, and it, it made everybody smile. So that's what I want to do. So, uh, luckily, she lived right around the corner from me in, in uh, Denver, in Capitol Hill area there. So oh, really? I took lessons from her to learn three-finger style. Oh, geez, she taught me really the basics of all my, uh, some melodic stuff. She taught me some, uh, a lot of scrub style tunes. And, and I kind of just took, took it from there. And then we sort of lost touch. She became Lynn Morris band and became <laughs> famous and all that. And, and, but uh, I knew everybody knew she had it. She just had it, you know, she's a great vocalist and everything. But uh, she's, of course, she's probably been my biggest influence as far as playing banjo. And she's really good too. She won the national competition twice. Oh yeah, she's fantastic. Sings like a bird, and I feel like she's uh, perhaps underrated these days. I don't hear her name come up, but uh, anytime I get a good chance to see a good, I don't know, YouTube video of her, it's yeah, it's so impressive what what she's able to do. So yeah, that's really cool to hear about that. Yeah. So I, I so here I am in I'm in high school. I'm taking lessons from her, and I didn't have a banjo, so. But I uh, had an interest in crafts. I, I took all the metal class, wood shop, leather shop, uh, drawing and painting, printmaking, did I say ceramics, photography, drawing and painting, uh, music theory was offered at that high school. Uh, so in my, my favorite class was art crafts. And that's where I learned how to cast silver jewelry and make jewelry. And I started making my own banjo in high school. And huh. it was a horrible banjo in retrospect, but it really looked cool. I had all this inlay on it, and oh, it was kind of inspired by the old Fairbanks banjo with the crescent moons and stars and stuff on it. But I got carried away and did it all in color and abalone and stuff. So I, I entered it in the Scholastic Art Awards in high school, mm -hmm. and I won first place with that banjo. For the banjo, that's great. So it was supposed to go to New York for the finals, and I didn't send it in because I built the thing so I could play the banjo. Uh, and you, you didn't want to be without it? No, I didn't want to be without it. It was like <laughs> my best banjo. It was better than my harmony anyway. Yeah. Come to find out next year, I get in my teacher about how rang my neck for it. He says, you know, they had to create a whole entire category for that banjo. You were a shoe-in for a scholarship at Chicago Art oh, Institute. Oh, no. <laughs> so forever I was kicking myself until later I got into hobo nickel carving and one of my coin collectors, I became kind of well-known in that field. And one of my collectors said, I told that story to her, and she says, Ron, you could have been a frustrated painter by now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's funny. So the way things take you in the direction you're supposed to go in, I guess. It sure is. Uh, so stop right there. Tell everyone what hobo nickels are, because I know that that is something that you are known for in that world. Okay, hobo nickels, a buffalo nickel or Indian head nickel, they call them. And, and back in the, they were, they started in 1913. And right away, people would start to carve them as novelty items. They'd uh, change, generally the uh, uh, standard hobo nickels, they change the Indian head into a hobo head and have a hat and a beard, maybe sometimes smoking a cigar or whatever. 
And this is uh, became it's a, like a folk art. And later on, they became uh, uh, pretty collectible. There was a whole club started that collects these things. I was introduced to what they are, and I, uh, I was an engraver. I was a die engraver already. And I, I mm-hmm. said, man, that looks like a lot of fun. So I came home from this coin club, and I, I had all these ideas how I could do something different with it than the standard hobo head. Or uh, So I started doing kind of more artistic things, doing them really clean, like pre- kind of approaching it more like an art metal rather than a cheap novelty item. So I was able to get, mm-hmm. you know, back then the market was like $5 a coin. You'd buy them off a, buy them off a style chart. And so later on I said, well, I can't compete with that. I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to do nice artwork on them and see what the market will do. Well, fast forward about five years later, I'm getting 500, 600, 1,000, 1,200. I've gotten up to $6,000 for a single nickel carving back in. In the day when we had huge buyers competing for my work, both of those have passed on now. And uh, so the, the, uh, the market isn't the same as what it was uh, about five years ago. But uh, and so I kind of got bored with it and started making finger picks. That, what, yeah, that's so interesting to hear about just these little worlds and communities that most of us have no idea about but they're they're out there and i guess for all the uh troubling things that might happen on the internet that is one of the really great things is that banjo players or hobo nickel collectors can all find each other and and create a community like that so that's that's so cool to to hear about those kind of things and there's a page for all of those there's a hobo nickel page it's called the original hobo nickel society page and I have a lot of interests, and I'm so I'm on a lot of these pages. I play dobro, banjo, guitar, mandolin. So I'm on all mm-hmm. those. And there's a separate community for all of those instruments. You yeah, are. you know I'm into coin collecting too, and uh, I used to make reproductions of U.S. coins, and I even designed the I did the prototype for what became the Sacagawea dollar at one. Yeah. I heard I heard that. That's really cool. Yeah, it it, uh, it was a great opportunity at the time. I was invited to do this by the president of the American Numismatic Society, and he knew Michael Castle, who was in charge of monetary policy at the time. So he was trying to introduce this as a bill. It, the bill had failed twice before because it it was too much. The mini dollar was too much. They knew the Susan B. Anthony dollar didn't work, and they didn't want to redo it that. So I made a prototype yeah. in a yellow metal, a brass metal, and everybody was able mm-hmm. to put them in their hands and say, yeah, this will work. And it changed a lot of minds, and the bill passed, although my Liberty Head design didn't go with it. That was a separate thing. that I, I even spoke at the hearings for it and you know tried to get my design, of course. But it ended up being yeah. Sacagawea, and I, they invited me to submit design. So I... I had a I had a couple of shots to get my initials on that coin, the front or the back. A couple of shots at it, it just didn't happen though. But I was yeah, that must have been an interesting experience. <laughs> it was it was an it was an interesting experience because I got to rub shoulders and with real legislators and bigwigs in Washington. It was uh, I learned a lot through that. Yeah, so yeah, that's really cool. Things I didn't want to learn, but I learned them anyway. <laughs> 
Well, I don't, I don't want to have the FBI knocking on your door right after the interview's over. So <laughs> I, won't, I won't ask you too many in-depth, in-depth questions. Yeah. We, we don't need that. We need your, we need your finger picks. Right. Yeah. So when did that idea come up? I mean, uh, the, it was, it's such an obvious marriage and use of your talents. If you're, if you're this banjo and dobro player and you happen to be this expert metal worker, to me, it seems obvious. When did it occur to you and under what circumstances? It kind of happened by accident. New Year's Eve, 1979, a friend of mine named Bart Gallegos, who was an excellent melodic player, he lost his picks. He had a gig that night. It was New Year's Eve. And he asked me, I said, I got a gig too. I only got one pair. You know, so I said, tell you what, though, I got a sheet of sterling silver. I'll saw you out a pair. So, <laughs> so I did. I, I, I sawed them out. And they were rough, you know. They, but he really liked those picks. And he ended up losing those again later. And until <laughs> the day he died, he asked me to make another set of those picks. And I thought, He's just being nice because I got him out of a jam. But, you know, I told that story to Stephen Moore, who I, mm-hmm. I camped with him at Winfield. And we were breaking down. It was right after he won his second national championship. And everybody's breaking down, getting ready to go home. And we're talking about finger picks. And so I told him that story about Bart. And I said, you know, there must have been something to those silver picks. Because he never let go of that. He'd always ask me for it. And I said, you know what? I, I'm going to make a pair in silver, and I'll send them to you and, and see what you think. So I did, and Stephen really liked those picks. I think he's still playing the same pair. I, I've made him several sets since then, but uh, he's he's probably one of my bigger supporters and probably the best banjo player he used. Them. Well, I can't say that. There's some pretty good bad banjo players, but he's one of them. I think Kyle Tuttle also plays my picks. He got, in fact, Kyle well, got I know. the first pair of death grip picks that I made. It was a gift, so I don't know if he really uses them. I shouldn't mention his name. He doesn't officially endorse them or anything. But, but. No, that's great. Yeah, Stephen had wonderful things to, to say about you, and he does still use them for sure. I saw them myself. Um, I'm sure you probably heard that interview with him since he's a, a friend of yours. So um, in your words, what do you think... You know, you, you said that your friend must have heard something in that silver that he just couldn't let go of all those years. If you had to tell someone what that is, that was the, the difference that the silver offers, what would you say that is? Well, it's the softer metal. And so I think it, it creates a little darker tone, a little softer tone. For banjo, I think it's important. It takes that the edge off of, of the tone and, and softens it, makes a nice warm tone out of it. If you hear Stevens playing... <laughs> You know, you, you can hear that in his his playing. But what really inspired me to go along with it is he told me a story when he first started using those, his guitar player noticed the difference from across the room. Didn't know he was wearing them. And Stephen uh-huh. said, what, what is that? Did you get new strings? Or he said, no, same strings. He says, I got these new banjo picks, these new silver picks. So if somebody even not playing the instrument could hear the tone difference... I said, there's something to this. I've got to pursue this because there's some. Absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't do it to get rich. They're the most expensive picks on the market because they take a long time to make by hand. And of course, silver is not cheap these days either. But uh, 
here's the problem I'm running into with these is they are so expensive and people are used to like every other year, there's a new shiny pick out there. Everybody feels yeah. compelled to try it because they need a better pick. These things have not been changed since National first applied for a patent in 1930. <laughs> it's 90 years. And how many variations of the national pick are there out there? I'm not going to name them by name, but you know. Yeah, we all know that. We all know which ones you're talking about, and they're all they're all good and they're fine. But yeah, to your point, um, yeah, they're, they're they're fine. They work. Hey, Earl used them. I mean, come on, there's some great music played with them all the year, and I'm, I'm not getting down on them. It's you use what's available. Now, though, all those picks are made. So they can be made by the tens of thousands in a in a press where they feed coil stock into the press. It goes into a set of transfer dies. So they, they go from one step to the other, and they're cut and bent into shape. And then they end up in, in big bags, you know. Well, that's fine, and they work, like I say. But uh, I wanted to approach it from a different angle. I don't care how long it takes, how much it costs. I want to make the best interface to connect the player with the instrument. What is that going to take? So it set me off. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes. A lot of my early prototypes were horrible. I'm thinking, well, they got to be comfortable. Well, that was so I used my experience as a jeweler and said, well, the most comfortable thing, like I'm thinking like a wide band, and you put it on your finger, and, and it feels nice, and it's comfortable, and you put it on. Well, that's fine, but that's a piece of jewelry. It's supposed to come off easy and be comfortable and it's all, but I made my picks like this and it doesn't work for picks because you want your picks to stay on, not to be comfortable yes. to the point they slip off easy. So I was beveling all wrong. I was, I was, you know, tapering off on both, both like, like a band, I guess. I was filing them wrong. So they were like, would it be convex on the inside? Toward your finger, it kind of bulged outward. Yeah, it's sort of like a Dunlop, but solid. You know, where it'd be flared mm -hmm. out yeah. on, on the front and back. So it's oh, yeah, kind, yeah, kind yeah. of in the middle. Well, that's totally wrong. You want it to be cupped around your finger so you have even contact all the way around your finger. So I, I started making, instead of that, I started grinding them in so, so it, it would follow your contour a little better. And then I started doing a little trick, and this is what uh, I learned from gun engravers. When they're doing gold inlay, they take their graver and they punch up little teeth, and then they hammer the gold into that. Those teeth grab the gold, and that's what keeps the gold in. It's not soldered in or anything. So I thought, ah, I'm going to put those little teeth on the inside. And when I, once I did that, I said, ah, the light came on. This is what we need for picks right here because they I, I, I put the the barbs in so they're one way so they kind of slip over the teeth and then if you pull it off it it really resists coming off it's kind of like a like you call them like a Chinese finger trap you know that the harder you pull the, yeah. the harder they are to get off I mean they really stick yeah, sort of, sort of like a harpoon concept but it's not it's not sharp or painful or anything but it is like the yeah it grabs it might be painful if there was one or two teeth in there but since there's so many of them it's like a bed of nails you get uh but but you have that sharp contact i've tried all kinds of different textures 
Your skin doesn't go into those. You need something that goes into your skin. <laughs> so I figured it out now. So now I've got to figure out how to manufacture these because I'm not going to put those teeth in one at a time on every pick. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. I'm I'm looking at my picks right now and there's uh at least a few dozen on each pick and each one's the size of a a pinhead or something. It's smaller than that probably, just a needle point. So yeah, to the work required to do that individually would whatever, it would take you all day just for a set of picks. It takes a long time. Which I could do and I but I'd have to charge, you know, twice as much as I'm already getting. So that, that wasn't going to work. So I came up with another uh, idea for, for a pick. It had a lot of open work in it. In fact, I got one right here. I don't know if you can see it or not. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's got like open work design. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. And I figured out a way that I could stamp these and then grind off the inside so it opened up all that open work without having to make cutting dies or saw it out or anything. It's very clever. I never could get it to work. I I made a machine that, to grind them. And so this is what R&D is all about. You try it and see. And then then I, I finally had kind of an epiphany and I figured out, I'll just make a die with those teeth backwards in it and strike them all in once. And it'll also shape the spoon. So that, And that's basically what we came up with. My first attempt, it worked. And it, it worked perfectly. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, I've, I have I have been able to talk to a few people who have your picks, and re- regardless of what they think about the sound of it, you know, some people prefer the the softer sound. Some people are obviously committed to their nationals, but every single person, a hundred percent, is very positive about the the what do you call them on the inside the grippy? Uh, well, the patent name is Death Grip. Hey, sorry to interrupt everybody, but I just couldn't resist an opportunity to tell you about the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted instruments, and that, of course, is Elderly Instruments, which is a family-owned business located in Lansing, Michigan. But if you're not in Lansing, that's okay. They ship worldwide, too, and they just have a vast selection of acoustic guitars, electric guitars, ukuleles, mandolins, all the accessories and books that you'd want for either of those, and of course plenty and plenty of banjos and something that people don't often think about when you're buying stuff like that particularly entry-level instruments is the fact that they have a world-renowned repair shop as well when all those instruments come into the store if they do not pass a thorough setup and inspection by the repair shop they get sent back and that sometimes angers the suppliers of elderly instruments but it lets you know that elderly stands by their products And they also have a helpful and knowledgeable sales staff to help you find what you need. And you can be confident that you're going to get something that is set up to elderly's high quality standards. So if that sounds great, and I know it does, check them out at elderly.com or call 517-372-7880 to speak to one of their helpful salespeople. It's where I go and it's where you should go too. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also proud to be sponsored by Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses, perfect for quarantine by the way, but they have courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. 
For example, listen to some of the courses. These are just the banjo courses that they offer. Uh, a couple different classes with Bill Evans, such as beginning banjo and bluegrass banjo. You can learn claw hammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and also contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wesley Corbett. And each of those courses includes high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. So it's everything you need to up your skills, especially in these isolated times. And listen up, because this is the best part. If you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now, you're going to get your first month free by going to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's picky fingers, all one word, all lowercase, at pegheadnation.com. Check it out. Well, and that's, I guess that leads us to the next thing is like, not only are these high quality, high attention to detail, functional picks, but they're also works of art. I encourage, you know, it's it's going to be impossible to really convey it over the podcast, of course, but um, you, you have your website, landisstudios.com. Is that correct? Not landstudios.net or just landispix.com will get you there easier. Oh, okay. And and you got plenty of, of photos of what you have going on, and it's it's just terribly impressive uh, <laughs> attention to detail. And I, I guess let people know, is are you doing custom orders, custom requests in terms of design? Like what's your what what are your capabilities in terms of what you're able to provide for people oh i've been doing all kinds of cool stuff it, uh mostly just those those shield picks like you have I, I can do a wide variety of things like i've been doing uh symbols in there i've done cactus and palm trees in there that was a cool set yeah i did crosses did a masonic symbol for one it was pretty detailed but now if you want to get in that that's just within a very small shield shape so i also make right, blank right picks that I can do full custom jobs on. And I've been doing a lot of those for gifts. People buy them kind of like a presentation piece more. So they are, they're kind of like fine jewelry or, or, or a presentation piece that you would not necessarily even play. They're just kind of more like artwork. Uh, so yeah, I've done, I did a thumb pick the other day for a steel guitar player who's inspired by Jerry Garcia. So I put, a, I don't know if you're familiar with dead iconology but it's, it's got a bertha on it it's got okay. a jerry handprint and uh it's got a bolt on it so yeah i've been doing i've been having fun with those and uh I'm, yeah sp speaking of which i'm starting to get into thumb picks now I, i've had so many people like them say when are you gonna start making thumb picks and, well i have been making them i'm making them all one by one at a time by hand uh, until we can get the tooling up to strike them. I'm actually putting the teeth in every one of them. Mm -hmm. And it works the same way on the thumb pick. Except the thumb pick, I, I don't put the teeth on the top. On that the top part of your thumb is real sensitive. So I've been I've been leaving that off of them. But but they still work like that. And most you think, oh metal thumb picks. No. You tried them. <laughs> I don't like them. I, I've, I've used, you know, but these are different. Silver's softer. These are heavier blades. It's a whole different story. I really like mine. I had I had one. Well, I had this one that I made, and I riveted mm -hmm. on. 
It's a popular hard plastic pick that people spend a lot of money on. And I riveted on, I made my own that has a wide band. It wraps all the way around so I don't hook hook strings. Oh, yeah. And it's a great that's, pick. It's a great pick. Oh, that's incredible. Been using it for four years. I just retired it because I have a new one now that I like even better. Yeah, I love what I'm... I love what I'm seeing, and uh, and unfortunately, it's not going to translate oh, as well to, yeah, to the to right. the pocket. <laughs> no, it's no, it's cool. It's cool to know about, about all these, but um, yeah. So what what Ron is describing? So yeah, he's this is actually my favorite part of some metal band thumb picks. Is uh, yeah, the part that wraps around has that little lip that will catch on your thumb and prevent it from twisting. Is is, th- is that right? It, it looks like that's what I saw there. And then you, yeah, you riveted on whatever materials you wanted to to make the sound you wanted. And yeah, you kind of have the best of both worlds there, I guess. Right. But I, I have just, like I said, I, uh, and they're hard to make. I wasn't planning on making those commercial because they, they take like a whole day to make one. So I oh, retired man. it though. I really like these solid silver ones. And this blade, like mm. I said, it's, it's about the same hardness as that plastic I was using. And frankly, I like the tone better. And I, I have a different one. I use a wide band for Dobro and this thinner band uh, for uh, banjo. I even make a really, really skinny band for steel guitar. I think I'm going to call them pickles. They're really, they're really thin. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's thick. It's thick metal, but narrow band. It's it's thick metal, but it is it is soft metal. So so to people, usually the hesitation with using the metal thumb picks is that it's going to be too scratchy, it's going to be too uh, harsh. It's it might even break the strings if there's a burr on the on the metal, and that seems to probably not be. I, I haven't tried it, but it seems like that would be less of an issue with these. Is that is that your understanding? That's correct. Yeah, and again, I I, I hand finish the blades. I file them and polish them to a mirror finish so they're really smooth and and I've been shaping some of them I can get my ball punch in there and kind of shape a spoon shape in the in the blade a little bit I've been playing around with different gauges the thickness of them makes a big difference and I found I made a really monster one I made it out of just to try it like what the heck I'm gonna make one I started out with 12 gauge silver which is 12 gauge. It's almost an eighth of an inch thick. It's really thick. Oh, this pick yeah. weighed three quarters of an ounce <laughs> of silver. <laughs> and I thought, well, somebody's going to like it. You know, maybe somebody that really plays guitar hard or something. There might be a market. I'm just, I'm just playing around. See. Well, then it's a little, it's too heavy. But what I notice is when you get to that heavy pick, it makes the sound so dark, it's kind of undesirable. So, so there's a balance there in the springiness of the band and the thickness of the blade. That's what I'm still working on to get that balance right. So you have the blade thick enough to create a good tone, but the band is thin enough it could be manipulated and still has a little springiness in it. And I've I've got a few of them that I, I, I really like. So now it's just a matter of how I can make them to fit people because thumbs are even harder to fit than fingers are. Finger picks, you, you know, you, 
But thumb picks, it's like ordering a suit. You know, you want it to fit. These are custom picks. They're not off the rack. You want it to fit your thumb. So, it, And then I make mine so they wrap all the way around underneath. I have a problem with hooking strings, especially on Dobro. Not so much mm -hmm. on Bandro. But if most picks, I have this problem. So when I make mine, I wrap them so it goes way underneath the thumb. And yeah. I, I just don't have a problem anymore. You know, you don't allow, you don't put a spot there where you can hook it. It ain't going to hook. I was going to compare it to getting a, getting sized for a bowling ball. And, you know, that that's so important. And that even that by comparison is so crude compared to the to the fine measurements that it takes for for picks. So, yeah, that's pretty, pretty easy to understand why that's so important. Tell people what we might not know about what it takes to work with metal, because I've seen your videos and there's like, you know, you have your cool uh, whatever the video is, is like all the steps of making picks video. And it shows you with this molten metal vat. Tell, so tell people just, I don't know, real briefly what it, what it actually takes to, to pull this off. So, yeah, we, we start with, with raw metal. We, we alloy it ourselves, cast it into bars, roll it out on rolling mills. You have to keep annealing it, you know, to keep it soft through these. And then once it's rolled to the right thickness, we stamp out the blanks. And like I say, I, I like my picks really thick. We're making them out of 052, but that's too thick for the bands. So we we put them through a, 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 a shaping process. For first, they're stamped in shaping die, and what what that does is it keeps the blade thick and it preforms the the blade a little bit, and it stamps the the band thinner. And then that's taken back to the cutting press. It's trimmed off, annealed, and then it's stamped with the design in. So that second stamping thins the band yet more. And uh, then we then I have to hand trim them from there because I can't, once the teeth are struck in there, I can't yeah. put it back in the press. That thing's going to dole the teeth down when it punches it right. out. So I have to do all the hand all the hand work at the end to, to finish them off. And this is why they cost what they do. There's a lot of hand work, a lot of steps. At the end, I, I go to great lengths to, to make the edge of that blade really round, beveled, polished to a mirror finish. So there's no nothing to mess with the tone. Uh, also, we, we've been offering them now in a different blade style. You have what I call the paddle style. That's something I designed sort of, kind of more as a dobro pick, really. It works fine on all instruments, but it's a, it, we, it's a weird shape. Some people can't get used to it because, and it looks kind of clumsy compared to the sexier blades that are out there. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I but they, but they work great because if for dobro playing, I'm, I'm having my hand at different angles. So that paddle shape, if I'm hitting the string at a weird angle, it's still the same radius coming off the pick. Right, it's not right. the broad side of a standard blade. Yeah, it's not a matter of flat or edge. It's 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 all yeah a rounded surface. So, yeah, it's like a parabolic uh, hemispherical yeah, yeah, exactly. end on it. But some people can't get used to those, and so that's fine. So I'm I'm offering them 
in two different blade styles. Now I trim that down to what I call the classic shake. And it's still got a little bit of that element because the that's kind of put out on the end a little bit. Uh, so you still have kind of that advantage, but it's got more of a point on it. Steel guitar mm -hmm. players, I, I know, really like the kind of the, the more pointy picks. They get, you know, they got that big 10 string guitars with real close string, string spacing. The pedal steels, yeah. Yeah. And frankly, that's where most people have been buying them. I got a lot of pedal steel players buying these picks now. Interesting. So would you say, would you say for whatever, just for, for any banjo players out there who are just hearing about you for the first time, if they're accustomed to nationals or the national knockoff copies of their choice, but they want to check yours out, is that what you would probably recommend is this newer shape that you just described? Yeah, I've got them on there. And when you order them, there's a, there's a box you click which shape you like. And if you want a different shape, I can even go to the radical, like the pointy points, the, what do they call them? The Ernie Ball. The, the picky picks. Picky picks. Yeah. Uh, I can even do that radical of a point. But, and uh, yeah, if you're used to the nationals and you're playing steel guitar or banjo, that's what I use. I, I've been going back to that for banjo. I still like the paddle shape for dobro and guitar. Yeah, I know that. Um, and and I don't think he minds mentioning his name because he's put it out there on on the internet and stuff. But uh, Mike Sumner, who everyone knows from the from the podcast, he he was the first one I thought of when I saw your picky picks because everyone always makes him makes fun of him for using those picky picks because everyone thinks they're funny and they're you know they're not quite as popular. But um, as soon as I saw that you had those, he's the first one I thought of, and I know he really likes uh. The ones that you're that you're making, I think he's switched over. So, I know you have some fans of those. Yeah, those pointy points. I can't use them myself, but some people really like them. But the cool thing about the ones we're doing is the blades are thick enough to get away with that such such a, a thin blade. They're uh, they seem awful uh, flimsy to me. The the, the <laughs> commercially made ones. Yeah, me too. So, uh, so they work a little better eh, for steel guitar. Maybe I, I think they a lot of guys. I can see why they like them. They look very accurate. You know, you got the accu accurate placing or whatever. Gives you a different tone too. It does. It uh, kind of a little too bright for my taste, but but uh, some people like them. And yeah, so that's available. Well, like you said, the the accuracy is big, and when you if you play like Mike Sumner, anyone who's familiar with him, he has just impeccable technique and everything. So he's the exact type of player who could pull something like that off. So that's cool. Well, I don't know, Ron, anything else that we didn't cover that you feel like you want people to know about what you're doing and, and how you accomplish all this? I mean, I, I, I can't stress enough that even aside from you know, your attention to the shape and thickness and comfort of the picks, they, they really are works of art or jewelry or however you want to look at it. They're, they're impressive to look at. So even if you, even if you're not in a position to, to purchase them, you should check out the website because they're, they're really cool to look at and they get to see all of your other work, all your coins and your other jewelry, which is cool stuff to check out. Oh, I do um, want to mention one thing. We, we came, yeah. we did a new style. We've got a new style now. It's less expensive. Uh, these are about, uh, about 25% less. 
I figured out another way. We're not doing the pre-shaping on it. It saves a lot of steps. So we can, and we figured out a way we can punch them out at the end. So it saves a lot of hand trimming. And they're still silver. They still have the gripper liner. And uh, check them out. They're, we call them the, we had a contest on our Facebook. We uh, named this model. And we called them the picking it basket picks. And it, has, <laughs> it has a basket we designed. It, it's functional, the design. Those little spaces between the basket weave acts as little pushers to push the teeth in for, for the back side of it. And so it uh, it requires a little less pressure. And so, yeah, they're uh, I'm excited about that. I'm hoping to bump sales up a little bit with that. But, but I appreciate this, Keith, because we're having... We started this business right at the beginning of the COVID thing. So it's been a little, <laughs> little rough going but with, with uh, the economy shut down. The biggest problem we have is we can't do festivals. So we can't, we can't put them on people's hands and let them try it. That's the biggest selling point. Once they put them on, they don't want to take them off. With, that, with festivals shut down, we're relying totally on word of mouth. And exactly, well, they've, been keeping us, they've been keeping us busy. We're staying afloat anyway. We're not. Well, hopefully by this time next year, things will, uh, you'll have a successful summer of festivals behind you and be at IBMA or, or something like that where you can really get to show them off. Planning uh, on, planning on. Yeah. I, I should be at Winfield right now. So that, that, oh. that, that would be going next, I think next week would, was the weekend they'd be open. So I, uh, I had a booth planned there. I got my, my check back in the mail. I, but next year, yeah, I do plan on being at IBMA, Win, Winfield, probably John Hart from Memorial Festival, maybe Bean Blossom. Oh, how cool. Well, I hope to uh, meet you in person one of these days and uh, really appreciate you meeting with me. Appreciate the pics and uh, we'll uh, keep being in touch. All right. Thanks everyone for joining me for this discussion with Ron Landis. Thanks again to Max Allard, today's Patreon supporter. Go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to learn how you can become a patron of the show. As always, you can contact me directly at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com and stay tuned for more episodes of the show and also for that exciting new music that I can't wait to share with you. So I'll see you next time over and out. Bye.